Blog Talk Radio. Ignite your life with passion and purpose. Your health, your wealth, your happiness. Make it good. This is Modern Love with Dr. Brenda Wade. A big thank you to Rainbow Grocery, our favorite grocery store here in the San Francisco Bay Area, for being our sponsor, because a healthy body is a sexy body. Hello there, modern lovers. Welcome to tonight's radio podcast, and it's one that you might be interested in. I'm just curious. Have you ever felt that stinging burning feeling of being wrong of someone saying to you oh you're wrong or you have to eat crow because you actually made an embarrassing mistake well we've all been there and we're going to talk about that tonight because believe it or not our topic tonight is how to never be wrong again and i'm going to introduce you to our guest in just a moment but i'm going to ask you to flash back for just a moment, to your most painful experience of being wrong. And, of course, because we're talking about love, when was the time you felt you were the wrongest in a relationship? Mm, we've all been there. So think about that for a moment and just ask yourself, wouldn't it be nice if you were never, ever wrong again? So let's talk about that with our special guest, and I'm going to do something a little bit different tonight. I'm going to ask our guest to introduce our topic by talking about their worst, their most painful experience of being wrong. So, surprise guest, welcome to the show. We'll introduce you officially in just a moment. What's your most painful, painful story of being wrong? Well, I think my most painful story of being wrong is, like many other people listening, is I was in a relationship that was the wrong one for me, and I stayed too long. I got hurt, and I should have known a year before that I should have gotten out. So it's two things, the hurt and staying too long. So there's two kinds of hurts. That was when I was the most wrong in a relationship. Now, you say you should have known or did Mm. you know the year before? Well, well, you know, there's an old proverb about two frogs. Uh, one frog is dropped into a pot of boiling water and immediately jumps out because it's stingingly hot. The other frog is put into a pot on the stove, just warm water, and you gradually turn up the heat a little bit at a time. Oh. And so finally, the frog in the pot on the water is boiled to death. And <laughs> most of us, Unfortunately, whether it's love or staying in a job, are the frog in the water that's not boiling yet. So you have to take your temperature every once in a while and say, is the pot getting too hot? Should I jump out now or should I wait till it's boiled? So I think that happens a lot. That probably happened to me. people who you are and how you got interested in the topic of never being wrong 
Well, um, hopefully you can hear me well because I'm having trouble hearing you. But, but anyway, um, what happened was this. It had nothing to do with love and relationships. I was an investment banker, and I flew out to the West Coast, not far from you, to make a presentation to the board of directors of a publicly traded company on a rather complex multi-billion dollar deal. And on the way out, I read their resumes. They had great academic backgrounds, great business experience, all smart people. I gave my 20-minute presentation. I thought I handled everything well. I've done it before. And immediately, about four of them came to different conclusions right away. And I thought to myself, how can these four people who heard the same thing at the same time from the same person come to different conclusions and actually get hard in their conclusions right away? And I realized they had come to some kind of quick, visceral reaction and then just concluded that they were going to either be for the deal or against the deal. And actually the bigger epiphany that day, and don't ask me why it was that day and not 20 years before, uh, was that I didn't have a way of going about making decision either. And I didn't think that was a very smart thing to think about. So I, on the way back, I said, I'm going to buy a book when I get back to New York about decision-making, how to make a decision. And I went through all the bookstores, and I went online, and there wasn't a book. There are a lot of books on the psychological problems you have when you make decisions and the common pitfalls, et cetera, but there wasn't a book on how to make a decision. So I said, okay, some professor someplace with tenure probably wrote something on it. So I read all the academic papers I could, and there's nothing on it. And that's when I decided to embark on a, about a 10-year journey. I didn't know it would take 10 years to figure out what was the best way to make decisions. And my first focus All right, was so Michael, yeah. Michael, I have to ask you this. And everybody, this is Michael Costa speaking to us from his experience that drove him to – Think about how to make a decision to study it and become our expert tonight. And, Michael, I appreciate you talking about the frogs in the warm water that gradually gets hot. I certainly have been that frog, and I think most of our listeners have. But how do you make a decision to get yourself out of the water before you're boiled? Okay, that's great. So let's take Let's take any decision you make, whether it's business or it's getting married, it's the same decision process. So what you want to look at, let's say you're with somebody and you say, is this the right person for me long-term or getting married? And you go through a process. And Let's assume, for example, you find them attractive. There's that sexual chemistry. So let's take that as a given. So I'm going to apply a little bit of thought process here. And people go, well, you can't do that. It's all emotional. No, it's not. All the reasons, Emotional and hormonal. And hormonal, but it's not just that. Because all the research shows that we are biologically designed to think and decide the same way we were back in the jungle or in the grasslands. Nothing's changed. Technology's changed. We haven't. So you say, when I get together with somebody to live together on a regular basis or marry them, what am I doing? We're agreeing to do the hunting and nesting we did back in the jungle. Okay, we're going to have you know, great sexual chemistry, but the vast majority of the day is going to be hunting and nesting. Now, today, you know, we don't hunt and nest, and I say we do. Hunting is earning the money to pay for the food and shelter. That's the hunting. 
Nesting is making the coffee, taking out the garbage, all those things that we do every day. And if you have kids, it's amplified. That's the nesting. We spend more time hunting and nesting than we're going to have sex. So we only look at the chemistry and the hormones, but the real relationship is much greater. And if we don't get along in the hunting and nesting, eventually that person you like looking at, you won't like looking at much more. So how do you decide when the, when the chemicals, the hormones, the sex drive, when you are on fire for that person, how do you decide that they're a good hunter or nester? Well, okay. So you sit there and go, okay, what do, what do we do? First of all, it's the timing of it. It's an interesting thing. There's four aspects to any decision. One is timing. You go, you don't have to make a decision today. There's no deadline by April 15th you must decide to get married or not or move in and live with a person. So you've got to set a deadline. You've got to say to yourself, let me think through this decision. Where is it going? Do I have any future in it? And you set your own, own deadline. It could be a month from now, six months from now. But if you don't set one, you'll be the frog in the water that eventually gets boiled. So you set that. So you're saying that no matter what, you should have a timeline to decide whether you're in the relationship and the water is hot or warm or what are we at? That's exactly right. And, and another thing that people make is a common mistake. They go, well, I'm going to keep, I'm going to stay in this relationship because I've been in it for two years already. And otherwise I've wasted two years. In decision-making, that's called sunk cost fallacy. In other words, it's a sunk cost. You'll never get those two years back. They're irrelevant to the decision to go forward with that person or not. So, so a sunk cost means you've already lost your money, everybody. That's, and you're not going to get it back. <laughs> that's right? exactly right. Okay, so if you're in a relationship, it's right. not going where you want it to go, kind of like the one you mentioned at the top of the show. Sure. You said you were in one and you, you should have known a year sooner. Michael, what did you miss? Why didn't you know a year sooner? Well, well first of all, that's before I had my epiphany and knew about decision-making. Um, but we just – first, two things – we sit there and go, there's a lot of good things in the relationship. It's not all bad. I'm not getting beaten up, right? So it's not bad. And we hope. We hope for a change. Hope is a great thing. But when people are in their 20s or 30s or older, they could change, but they usually don't change that much. So if we're hoping for the person to really change, we're not really – that's not good odds. They're probably not going to change. They, you know, the, It's like playing poker. The cards are what they are. They're not going to change. Look at the cards in the poker game. If you like them, continue betting. If you don't like them, you get out of the poker game, you go to a bar, you find your friends, you go on the Internet, you find a new mate to look at. Basically, you reshuffle your cards and you play again. So I didn't realize that. So you're saying people should set a timeline. This is the timeline by which I must make a decision. I'm in or I'm out. Correct. No sunk costs where you're hanging on hoping you're going to recoup your losses that magically they will change. And I will say, having spent the last 25 years working with singles, couples, didn't matter if they were black, white, or green people, old people, young people, LGBTQ people, I have heard this story over and over and over. And I'm thinking of one couple where he went into the relationship all in. He moved to New York to be with this woman. He loved her, yet 
she never made a commitment to him. She never said she loved him. She, after about six weeks, said, you know, this is a mistake. Now, when I talked to this guy, this was a few years ago, and I asked him, what did you miss? He said, well, she never made the commitments I did. She never made the declarations I did. I just assumed if I hung in there, she'd start to love me too. So okay. what would you say to that guy? Well, here, here's when you go out of a relationship, you're moving across the country, or, or worse, you're, you're getting, not worse, but you're getting married. You go, how certain should I be? And I go back to a poker game. I hate to make that analogy, but it's very accurate. Let's say I had a million dollars. Let's say it's a lot of money to you, a million dollars. And people go, you've got to look at the two cards in front of you, and you get to bet a million dollars one time. Now, you might get other cards in this game, and that there would be good cards or bad cards. We don't know yet. But look at the cards you're dealt. Would you go and bet a million dollars if you had a so-so hand, like 50-50 of winning? You would say no. Okay, what if it's 85, 90% chance of winning? You go, okay, I'll make that bet. It's not guaranteed, but it's a smart bet. What this person was doing and what I've done in the past is being in a relationship, we go, in this person's case, he was hoping for more cards. He was hope The hand he was dealt was a weak hand, and he knew it. How much do you want to bet in a weak hand? If the hand's weak, don't bet, whether it's poker or it's a relationship. And I so would you're to him, in a go ahead. relationship and you're hoping, hoping they'll change, hoping it will evolve, hoping it's going to get better, hoping they'll fall in love and tell you they love you. At some point, you put down that timeline and say, I'm only going to give it uh, whatever time it is, six months. And if it isn't shifting, I'm out. Yes? I agree. Hope is a powerful emotion. It's very positive in many ways. Hope is not a good thing for decision-making. It's just not. You're wishing something were true when it's not true. So what about the people who've made the commitment, they're in the relationship, Mm -hmm. they may have a family, they may have a mortgage, they may have whatever, and their partner at this stage in the game isn't showing up the way they need them to. What's well, your advice? my advice. Here, when you get together, whether it's a long-term relationship or marriage, both people have to agree to go forward. When you want to split up or get divorced, only one has to make the decision. And so there's a lot of things going on. If there's children involved, it's very difficult. You know, it's, it's, there's more collateral damage. You know, it doesn't mean you shouldn't get divorced, but maybe you should. But if it's not showing up, you have to either go to counseling, seeing can can we work it out? But if counseling Yay, goes, I said that because I'm going to put in my plug right there. Go ahead. Because skillful, skillful. Now listen to the word, everybody. Skillful, scientifically based, up to the minute, marital therapy or counseling has been proven. And you guys all know I'm your geek over here. I'm up on the science. It's been proven to cut the divorce rate for those people who hit a snag by 50%. Now, that's a robust number, 50%. So that means work on it, learn better. And most people, I just have to say this, Michael, you know this is true. Most people get married 
make decisions with absolutely no preparation for what it takes to create and maintain a healthy relationship. They fall in love and they go, well, you know, um, my parents did it. We'll be fine. And actually, this isn't the first time I've said this on Modern Love Radio. I have to go there. The truth is you need at least as much skill as you have driving a car, and you had to learn the rules of the road. You had to learn how to maintain the vehicle. Come on, people. Premarital coaching, there's a 50% drop in the divorce rate for those people. So get some classes, read some books, get some training, you know, do what you need to do. Make your love life a priority. I I agree. Yeah, I, I agree totally. And, and again, we're not. You and I aren't replacing that sexual chemistry or that hormonal drive with anything. We're saying on top of that, you need a relationship that works. So I happen to agree. People think you know, get divorced or not. I think marital counseling, if both people really want it to work, works. Obviously, if you go to mar- marital counseling in one party, like your example. The fellow that went across the country, if he wants marital counseling, but the woman doesn't really want it, then it probably is not going to work. But that's what you do. You look at You want to get to the comfort level. You can, you can change things if they're small things. If it's a core thing, it may be hard to change. If someone has a vicious temper and, and they drink too much, uh, that's got to change. And, and, you know, a counselor can counsel a person if they have a drinking problem they got to fix that before they can work on the marriage. But let me go to one thing that about decision-making that people will, how can I tell if the person's a 50-50 bet or an 85 to 90% bet, which is a good bet? It's pattern recognition. And what that means is, is predictive behavior. If all couples argue, but if you argue a lot more and sometimes viciously before you move in, or have a long-term commitment, or even get married, the chances are that you're going to argue even more and more intensely when you're married. So that's a great predictor I've seen in couples, that before they get serious with each other, if they're arguing too much and sometimes intensely, then that's a bad sign. Now, yes, all couples argue, but not to the same degree. That's been my observation. I don't know what yours has been. Well, I'm going to go to the science again. The science shows that couples that are high in what I call the five C's, criticism, control, contempt, combativeness, there's your arguing and defending, and coldness. If you're high in those things, you know, the research shows from all of our love labs around the country, within five years you'll be divorced. Now, I say, please, if you are listening to Michael's advice about decision-making, do yourself a favor and make a decision to learn better so you can do better. Because most of us choose our partners, not with decision-making as Michael is describing. We choose our partners with our patterns. You know, the pattern you learned in childhood, nobody will love me or everyone will will, uh, make me feel bad or everybody will leave me or whatever it is. So get yourself to a place where you really, really know yourself so you can choose somebody who is good for you. I'm speaking from experienced people. My patterns chose my partners, and boy, did I pay. There's a bunch of peas for you. But anyway, <laughs> make sure make sure that 
you know you're choosing well, get that premarital the decisions because this process of setting a timeline, assessing, you know, what is really going on in the relationship that works that doesn't work. If it's a serious doesn't work, you need to go get some help with that and see if you can shift it. If not, maybe what you want to do is get out. I agree. And you know, people listening may say, gee, I have a job already. I have this relationship. Now you're asking me to do more work, read things, and, and read up and maybe get premarital counseling. Here's my response to that, and I want to see what you think. This is probably, the, if you get married especially, it's probably the single biggest decision you will make in your personal life, both emotionally and financially. If you're not going to take time to think through this decision, then you're probably not going to take time to think through any decision you make. So I think it's worth the effort. In fact, I would say it's required to make that if you want to make it work. That's my view. I'm not sure if you agree or not. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm going to quote a president who said, 90% of your happiness in life comes from your choice in a mate. And that was President Abraham Lincoln. And I thought that was really romantic the first time I heard it, Michael. And then I found out that his wife, Mary Lincoln, was the first documented case of postpartum psychosis. Mm. So I think when he said 90% of your happiness, he was speaking from the other side of the coin. His wife was psychotic. Yeah, yeah, no, I I understand that. But uh, he's still right, even though he may have been thinking of a different way than what we're thinking right now. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's all more convincing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, there's there's four things, and we touched on three of them, timing, probabilities, and pattern recognition. The other one is balance, okay, you know, risk-reward. Now, for if you're moving in with somebody, I'm not sure you can do much about it, but um, I'm a lawyer in New York State and Washington, D.C., so I'll follow that here. I believe, and I've told both my children that, who are adult children, 31 and 28, that the only way to balance against a a bad marriage, if you will, if it doesn't work out the way you think, is a prenup. And the reason I say prenup, it's not just the money. Under a lot of states, and that's in, I don't know about California, so I'll leave that out. It's the only way you can do something that can punish good, bad behavior. So, for example, couples get married and they go, well, I always want to be fair. I can't believe we're ever going to get divorced, but I'll be fair. I'll be fair. Well, your definition of fairness may change if they're having sex with your best friend. So a prenup is the one way, and I know in New York State it's basically a no-fault divorce. It doesn't matter who's doing what, where, to whom. But if you say, gee, if someone's actually breaking the contract, they ought to get less of the money than if they were at no fault. And so I think that's a way to protect against future bad behavior. And a prenup, it sounds cold, it sounds very unromantic, but hopefully it never comes to pass. You can burn it on your 50th wedding anniversary. But that's my right, right, no Let me make sure but... I understood you. Let me make sure I understood you. Sure. You're saying that in the prenup, there's a clause that if somebody behaves badly, they get less reward if things are being split up. Did I did I get it right? That is exactly right. In most, I'll tell you, a lot of states like New York State, it wouldn't matter if you and I were married in New York State. It wouldn't matter if I was having an affair and you could prove it. It's irrelevant. I still get it 50, 50 cents on the dollar. 
And you're saying, wait a minute, Mike broke the contract on me. He should only get 25 cents on the dollar because he's a bad guy. If we don't have that contract, it goes to the regular state law, and it doesn't matter who did what to whom. So the only way to protect against bad behavior is to in a contract, which is a prenup. All right. So you're saying people – I'm still a little bit confused. Maybe it's just me. You're saying people should get a prenup that has a clause. You behave badly, you're going to get left. Yes? I agree. If you don't okay, think of this so way. that's what you're saying. Absolutely. Now, here's, here's what I think the best, the best defense against bad behavior, from my point of view, isn't necessarily the prenup, which means you get less. I think it's the work you do to strengthen yourself as a person, to elevate your consciousness, which means your self-awareness, your spirituality, elevate all of that. That's the guarantee that you get the most out of the marriage. It's what you put in. If there's more of you that's developed and cultivated, that's grown up, that's evolved, that's wise, and you put that in, then you're already ahead because you're sharing something with your partner that's going to make the relationship better for both of you. Now, again, I'm going to go to the research. shows that those are the strongest couples, the couples that keep growing together, keep evolving together, who share a spiritual life together, whatever that means. It doesn't matter. There are couples that say, we're atheists, but we get up, we watch the sunrise. Well, that counts because it's inspiring it's uplifting. So go for some cultivation of yourself and your partnership because that may be your best guarantee that nobody behaves badly because you're too happy and having such great sex. Why would you want to <laughs> Well, I would agree. That's the best way. And there's an old saying that is two people get together, they're both like trees, young trees. If one tree grows and overpowers the other tree, that's not a good relationship. Both trees have to grow equally and not one overshadowing the other one. And I would agree. I think it's what you said, and I agree with that totally. Wonderful. So, Michael, sum this up in terms of decision-making, because you're saying we can apply the same kind of decision-making, whether it's a relationship or a business deal, because I heard you say risk-reward, and negotiate a contract where if you behave badly, you're going to be punished. So you're going to use the cattle prod to make people behave, and I'm going to use the carrot. <laughs> uh, I'm, only, I'm not. We should use the carrot. I agree with you. I'm saying if the carrot doesn't work, it's not that bad to have a stick once in a while. Uh, <laughs> but I. But you're right. It's the same decision making process, whether it's a business deal, it's marriage, the decision to go to war, the decision to switch jobs or not. These are all decisions that are important. If you have a plan you'll do better at it. You will never be wrong again. All right. So you have a plan, which is go through those steps very quickly for us. We've got four steps, everybody. You might want to write this down. Okay, go ahead. Timing, balance, probabilities. You're going to put a timeline on it. You're going to balance whether there's enough there. When you say balance, there's enough there that's good to offset any bad. Okay. Okay. And then probability. There's probabilities, which in this case you want the highest probability, not just 50-50. This is going to work out. It's too big a bet. You want to be at the 85-90% level. So it's probabilities, and it's pattern recognition. We go back to arguing. What can I look at 
in any situation that will help me predict the outcome going forward. If we argue too much all the time right now, chances are it's going to go south. If we get along pretty well now, argue sometimes, chances are it's going to work out. All right, everybody. You don't ever have to be wrong again, whether it's love or any other part of your life, by following those four steps. Write them down. Study them. We're talking tonight with our guest, Michael Costa, who's bringing it to you from a legal perspective, and I think we can apply some of that to relationships. You know, I'm I'm certainly going to look carefully, Michael, having not looked carefully enough in the past. For those who care to join me, jump on this train. All right, thank you so much, Michael Costa. And thank you to our, oh, my pleasure. And thank you to our, it was my pleasure to speak with you. And I'm going to thank our wonderful producer, Mr. LeBron Green, our associate producer, Cliff Dunning. Thank you, Modern Lovers, for being with us on a journey to creating your best love. And please join me if you're in the San Francisco Bay Area for the 5D Paradigm Shift Conference that is starting next Thursday. Look it up online, Paradigm Shift, the new Paradigm Shift, and that's the 5D, fifth dimension. And you know what fifth dimension is. It means somebody who's in a constant state of joy, bliss, and thankfulness, and don't we all want that? All right, good night. Blessings. Love you, modern lovers. 